Thank you, Rick, and choir and musicians for singing for us. Um, I see some name tags out there. The name tags are there because we're doing names and faces this month. We have cameras set up in the foyer. As you leave, if you would get your picture taken, if you attend here, get your picture taken with your wife, with your family, uh, or singly, and it'll help us in our office as we seek to know who's here and uh, who's worshiping with us, okay? So that's names and faces. That's why we have the name tags. I'm in Ephesians chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip on over there. I'm reading from the New International Version. We're dealing with amazing, messy grace. And we say the last part of this book, chapters 4, 5, and 6, are about the way that we apply our new life in Christ and how we live it out. And while God's grace is amazing, it seems that working it out in our lives is often messy. And we're going to be talking about family here in a couple of weeks, marriage, children, uh, parenting, as well as the gospel at work, in the workplace, and all these different ways in which we live out our faith in Christ. So today I'm starting to read in verse 8 of chapter 5 of the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the Christians at Ephesus where he says in verse 8, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I love that last little poem the apostle gives to us, wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I was 21 years old when the pastor looked at me. I was the associate pastor fresh out of college. He said, I want you to go do this funeral in Grosbeck, Texas, for a lady none of us knew. And I said I would do it. She was 16 when she found out she was pregnant. Her name was Sharla. The man that got her pregnant was not interested in her or the baby And she, in a moment of despair, took a pistol and put a bullet in her heart. I remember walking out of the church after I'd preached that service, in which I read from Isaiah and John, both of whom loved to talk about light and darkness. Both of them used this theme, these writers, the prophet and the apostle. I remember walking out of the church, leading the casket, and thinking about all the shock and despair that was in this family and this crowd. It was truly a difficult moment for me. And it seemed like the darkness was thick in that family. There was a boy there named Michael who was 15 years old and he was first cousin to Sharla. He was in my youth group. 
And when I became pastor there a couple months later, I was his pastor. His mother had abandoned him that very year, left him and his father. And he had a lot of bitterness in his heart. And the death of his favorite cousin, Charlotte, delivered a shock to his soul and his spirit and sent him spinning, all right? I heard from Michael 21 years ago. He called me. I had to be reminded of who he was. And he told me, I just wanted to call and have you pray for me because I am in a difficult place. And surely he was. His life was a mess. He was full of hatred and fear and anger. And I prayed for him that day. And I realized as I hung up from Michael that some people live in darkness and some people live in light. And the scripture says here that now you are light. The apostle is announcing this to regular people like you and me. He says, once you were darkness, you were part of the blanket of darkness that often seems to cover the globe because you didn't really know where you came from or why you were here or where you were going. So confusion and maybe anger and despair were part of your story. Once you were darkness, that's your history, that's who you used to be. Now you are light. That's who you are now. You are the light of the world. God shines his light through you. Jesus announced to those peasants who gathered to hear him in the Sermon on the Mount, you are the light of the world. And they had a hard time believing it just like you do. But Jesus is saying to us, and the Apostle Paul is saying to us, you are now light. Maybe you once were darkness, but you were light. How did that transformation come about? Why are you light now instead of darkness? It's all because of Jesus Christ. It's all because you discovered that the God who made you, formed you for himself, sent His one and only Son to rescue you and save you. And it is because you know the Messiah that you are light. In fact, God sent His Son into the world so He would be a light of revelation to we Gentiles. And practically all of us in this room are Gentiles. That's why He sent His Son as a light of revelation for us who did not know Him, who maybe were reared in darkness and lived in darkness. The transformation from darkness to light occurs through Christ and Christ alone. He is our light. In fact, the scripture says uh, he is the light of the world. Jesus announced this as well. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world, Jesus said. The transformation happens when you receive Christ as Savior. You're moved from darkness into the light. The scripture says that we are carried, we are transformed from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. So that's what we teach and believe. 
God has changed us, and we are now light. So now you are light. In the morning, you can get up, look in the mirror, and say, Good morning, light. You're going to do some important lighting today. Make sure that your deeds are light and your words are light because you are light in a world that's full of darkness. I hope you can get this. I hope you can believe it. It's hard to believe. Truthfully, it's hard to believe that you are light. Now you are light. You think about yourself and you think, me? How can I be light? You're just like the folks who heard Jesus say it. You're just like these people who read this letter first. You hear it and you can't hardly believe it. But the truth is, now you are light. That's your new identity. It's your now identity in Christ. It's very important for you to receive it. God has done this in you. This transformation has occurred not because of who you are. It's because of who God is. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God said, let her be light, and him be light. You have not chosen me, Jesus said, but I have chosen you. So, you be light, and you be light, and God called us out of the darkness to be light in the world. That's who we are, and it's why we are light. So I want you to receive it. Think about it. It's important. Just as we saw last week that we are the dearly loved children of God and are God's holy people, so we need to see that we are light in the Lord. Now here's the challenge. Live as children of light. Now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. This is the function that we have as light in the world. It's our identity that we are light. And the challenge is, the function is to live that way. To live as light in the world. I mentioned Cedric Richmond, our U.S. representative from New Orleans, in my little video about race relations. I'm going to be doing this class starting Wednesday. And I saw him at the golf course on Friday after I did the video. But I was thinking about him as I walked uh, uh, even in there. And I was, I was thinking about that event I had and when I saw him he stood up and we started chatting and I said to him I think your friendship with Steve Scalise is really important in this day and time and I pray for you that God will use that friendship and you know that Cedric Richmond grew up in a Southern Baptist Church Lake Forest Baptist Church in New Orleans East and God can use you, whoever you are, wherever you are. God intends to use you as light in the place he has planted you. But you must live as children 
of light. Now, what does that mean? Well, he describes in this parenthesis a little bit of what it means. Light produces a fruit, he says in this parenthesis. The fruit of light is goodness, righteousness, and truth. Okay? So you could take the parentheses and you could say to yourself, okay, this is me. This is how I shine. This is how I roll in the world, okay? With goodness, righteousness, and truth. This is what light produces, the apostle says. Now, I don't know if Wayne Labot is here or not. Is Wayne here? Okay, Wayne, I'm sorry to say this, all right? I want to apologize. You gave me the satsuma tree. The satsuma tree did great last year, 400 satsumas. This year, nada. Like 20 satsumas. I mean, really, when I saw how many satsumas came on the tree, I wanted to go get my chainsaw, and I have a chainsaw. And I like to start it and run it. And I thought, I might just knock down Wayne's satsuma tree because it doesn't produce any fruit. What is the point of having a fruit tree if you get no fruit? I want to emphasize now, you are light. Now you are light. And the fruit of light is goodness, righteousness, and truth. All right? You are light in the Lord. That's who you are. And what you do is goodness, righteousness, and truth. Now, he's already given us the contrasting qualities of these three virtues that he intends to be flowering in you, to be your fruit, okay? He's already said, put aside every form of malice. That's what's bad, and it's the opposite of goodness. So any ill will that's in your heart toward your neighbor or your sister or your brother or your parents... Any ill will in you, any, any wish in you that somebody would experience pain or harm or difficulty or loss, that kind of malice. Malice is the word for wishing that somebody would experience bad things. Maybe working toward those bad things. Maybe saying words about them that you know will hurt their reputation and harm them. That's malice. Okay, that's the opposite of goodness. So we've got to clean up our language so our language helps people. It's helpful and useful for them. It's not destructive. It's not painful. It doesn't hurt them. That's part of what light means. You are light now. Now you are light. So goodness has got to shine out of you. And all forms of malice have got to be put away. And then there's righteousness. That's the second thing he says that's produced by the light. Well, he's been talking about impurity. Okay? In fact, he had a lot to say about impurity in previous verses. And now he's saying, you are light, and what you produce is righteousness. And that's doing what is right and just. So in your workplace, with your family, in your marriage, with your children, in all of the aspects and relationships of your life, you do what is right, even when it's costly, even when it hurts, even when it's difficult, even when it's not popular, you do what is right. You do what is just. That's how you shine. 
You shine in goodness, you shine in righteousness, and you shine in truth. You put away all falsehood. He's already told us about that. We can't lie to one another anymore. Every pretense, we put it away. We're no longer pretending. We don't wear masks. We're trying to be authentic followers of Jesus Christ, transparently committed to his lordship in our lives. That's what truth is all about. So we traffic now in the truth, not in pretense. That's how we shine. We shine in goodness, righteousness, and truth. And we learn and find out what pleases the Lord. Find out what pleases the Lord, he says. He just throws that out. Have you ever ever thought about that? What what really pleases the Father in heaven? I told the baptism candidates before the church service that when Jesus came dripping wet out of the Jordan River, having been baptized by John the Baptist, a voice came from heaven that said, This is my beloved Son. In Him I am well pleased. And I told them, Baptism pleases the Father in heaven. Find out what pleases the Lord. That's what the apostle says here. In verse 1 of this chapter, he says, be imitators of God. Have you ever thought about trying to imitate God? How would you do that? How would you follow God's example and imitate him? Later on in verse 17, he says, understand what the will of God is. Do you think you could actually know and do the will of God? God in heaven, God creator God, ruler of heaven and earth. Could you know his will and could you do it? Adam Harwood found a document in Google Docs. You know what it is? I didn't know it existed. It is the church manual of First Baptist Church of New Orleans from 1845. Did anybody know there was a church manual extant from 1845? Joyce, did you know? Okay, it's there. And Google Docs apparently has a mission of preserving these documents so you can look it up. I have a copy of it now. If you want one, I'll send it to you, all right? Isaac Hinton was the pastor then. It was 1845. The church started in 1843. Isaac Hinton refused to leave New Orleans when a yellow fever scourge was killing hundreds. They urged him to leave, and he said no, and he died of yellow fever. So when people said to me, I thank you for not leaving when Hurricane Katrina came, I said, that's nothing. I mean, we got pastors that stayed and died from yellow fever. So I'm glad that wasn't my assignment God gave me, you know. I wouldn't have picked Katrina, but I sure wouldn't have picked death by yellow fever. But Isaac Hinton was a pastor then in 1845. Now, I want you to hear the first words of the Declaration of Faith from 1845. We believe that the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments are the inspired Word of God, constituting the only and the sufficient rule of faith and practice. The Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testament. 
are the inspired word of God constituting a sufficient rule for faith and practice in our church. I think about how you know the will of God and I think about these writings in this book that span thousands of years by people who lived in different generations and experienced God's power and presence in their lives. And if we were to write a sentence that started our declaration of faith, it might be something like this very one that is written here. We have confidence in the inspired word of God. So when the scripture says, find out what pleases the Lord, one of the places you want to look is right here, right? Are you a student of this book? You personally. It's not just me that needs to be a student of the book or the Bible teachers or the deacons. Everybody who follows Jesus, who wants to please the Lord, needs to have their heart and mind and soul shaped by the Word of God. My father taught us this so carefully that when I was seven, I remember I had a Bible by my bed. I was seven years old, could barely read. But I had a Bible by my bed, and I tried to read God's Word every night before I went to sleep. And sometimes I read a little and sometimes more, but I was just a kid learning God's Word. But my parents taught me this Word is important. So I'm teaching you now. This Word is important. How are you going to know what pleases the Lord if you're not in this book? And if you're not in it every day, you're going to forget what it says. It's a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, the psalmist said. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I almost want to sing it like some of you do, okay? That's number one, knowing what pleases the Lord. Find out what pleases the Lord. Get in the book. Find out what pleases the Lord. Talk with, be in fellowship with other brothers and sisters in Christ who are seeking to honor God with their lives as well. That's part of what happens in the fellowship of faith. We teach one another. We learn from each other. We find out how we ourselves bear witness in our workplace and, and other places. So that's an important component of finding out what pleases the Lord by listening to what God is doing in the lives of other folks. It's important that we pray and be people of prayer. And I hope that you have a time when you pray because how are you going to find out what pleases the Lord if you're not a person of prayer? Now, these are very basic, right? They're not startling revelations to read God's Word, to fellowship with believers, to be a person of prayer. But these are fundamental for imitating God, for discovering the will of God and understanding the will of God and for finding out what pleases the Lord. He wraps this up with this comment about the works of darkness, the deeds of darkness. He says, have nothing to do with these deeds of darkness darkness, the fruitless deeds of darkness. He's mentioned this before. So I would say to you, he's returning to a theme 
He's talked about things we must put off already in this letter. Now he's coming back around to saying, don't have anything to do with these fruitless deeds of darkness. We already saw that the fruit that the light produces is goodness, righteousness, and truth. Now there are things you can be involved in that don't produce that fruit. They are fruitless deeds of darkness. And you're to have nothing to do with them. If we think through our lives and consider our actions, our deeds, and our words, we can identify these fruitless deeds, these things that bear no good fruit, and we know it. And it is self-evident. And when we think about them, we realize these things that I'm engaged in, it's part of the darkness. It really is. It pulls me down. It drains me. It takes away my spiritual edge and my energy. It makes me prayerless. I don't feel like going to worship. These are things that, that detract from who I am in Christ. And Scripture is, we are to have nothing to do with those deeds. Sometimes, you don't want the light shined on your life. Sometimes you get in such a place where you really want to stay in the darkness. John says that the one who does evil hates the light and he won't come to the light lest his deeds would be reproved. In other words, maybe you already know that if the light shined on your life, this part of your life would definitely come under the judgment of God. So if you find yourself trying to stay under a rock spiritually, just know that's not a good place. That's not a good place for you. You're seeking the darkness because you don't want the light to shine on what you're doing and maybe who you really are. The Scripture says then, but he who does truth comes to the light that his deeds may be manifest, that they originate in God. We don't want to be people who love darkness instead of light. We don't want to be people who hide under rocks so our real behavior won't be made known. Now, there is a tension between two verses here where he talks about don't participate in these deeds. Instead, expose them. And then in the very next verse, he says, for some of these shameless things that people do in the dark should never even be mentioned. Well, how are you going to expose them if you don't mention them? I say there's a tension there because sometimes we wonder, what part of my story do I need to tell? How open and transparent do I need to be about my own journey in the darkness? Because sometimes we know that a story about one person's experience in the darkness will help somebody else come out of the darkness and find the light. And we want our story to do that. And here's what I would say to you, and I learned this from Christy Gibson, okay? It depends on the audience. It depends on who you're talking to. If you're talking to somebody who you believe needs to hear your story, your journey in darkness so that they might come to the light, 
then maybe you need to share that part of your story that may not be happy, may not be pretty, but it's true, and it will touch somebody's life. I think that's why Michael called me Friday after 21 years of not hearing from him. Diane said, Michael Johnson called. I said, take a message. I didn't know Michael Johnson. So she took a message. And I get this message from her, and she says, it's Michael Johnson, a teenager in your church. Brothers and sisters, the first funeral I did as a pastor when I was 21, Michael Johnson was in that service and he left there and descended into the darkness and 21 years ago he called me and I prayed over him well he called again Friday and when I answered the phone I hear this voice of a mature man 58 years old on the other end of the line and I picture this skinny black headed boy 15 years old running around the church and that's all I can picture of Michael Johnson. I haven't seen him in 43 years. And he said, I felt compelled to call you because you're part of what happened to me. And I remember what you taught me way back when you were my youth minister and you were my pastor. And I was just a kid. He said, I ran from God and I lived in anger and hate for 40 years. But I want you to know, God broke me out and changed my life. And Michael told me the story of how God used different circumstances and situations and even the voice of his youth director from way back when he was 15 to call him back into the presence of God. And he said, I defied God all those years and I defied him publicly. But every time I heard God's voice in the back of my head and my heart and he never left me and sometimes I resented it, he said. He said, God used all these situations to bring me back to him. And Michael Johnson is today a practicing follower of Jesus Christ, a leader of his men's ministry in his church in North Arkansas. And just a few months ago, he picked up the phone. And he called the woman who abandoned him when he was 15 with no explanation for whom he harbored hatred in his heart for all these 40 long years. And he called her up and he identified who he was. And he said, Mom, I forgive you. And I hope you forgive me. And he said it was like this great heavy burden rolled off his shoulders and rolled off his heart. And he was liberated from a chain that bound him for all these years. In a way, it's a wonderful story, and I'm so glad that skinny teenager is back with God in his life. 
And in a way, there's a sadness that for 40 years he lived through all this hell, he called it, running from God. And my word to you today is you do not have to live in the darkness. There is no need for you to be darkness. God sent his son to save you and bring you into light. And you can have light in your life. Life can make sense for you. Your sin can be forgiven. You can really, truly, genuinely start over spiritually with an absolutely clean slate before the God who made you and loves you still. And if you can hear the voice of God today, you just know God's not given up on you. And God's not through with you yet. Michael said, God pursued me all those years. And if you have a sense that God is pursuing you, I challenge you, shorten your time in the darkness and come running to the God of light who loves you. Commit your life to him. Start again in the work he called you to do. Know that this is home for you the Father's house. Bow with me, please. As we bow our heads across this place, maybe what you really need to do is just say to God, God, I know I have sinned. Please forgive me for my sin. I believe you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me and that he rose again from the dead and I give my life to him. Would you make that prayer? Would you commit your life to Christ? Would you come out of the darkness and into the light of God's good word? And if you have departed from Christ and you're a long ways from where you used to be, would you just ask God to renew that relationship with you? Would you draw close to him so he will draw close to you? Would you commit your life again? to the God who loves you and sent his son to save you. Holy God, do your work in us today, we pray. Have your way in us. Speak your word to us. Draw us by your Holy Spirit to a new, fresh walk with you. In Jesus' name.